Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, safe driving tips on Minnesota's wintry roads, ice fishing and snowmobile season, and a golden gopher swimmer in the spotlight. But first... As Minnesotans access the area under the Christmas tree, there's one present that will not be there, Eminem's Bill Werner tells us. I'm preparing for some Christmas sharing. Santa Claus did indeed make a stop in Minnesota this Christmas, but Santa Capital did not. Despite much gnashing of teeth at the legislature and at the governor's mansion, COVID bonuses for frontline workers were not something lawmakers were able to deliver in time for Christmas. Faced with the crunch of wrapping up the state budget to avoid government shutdown last July 1st, Legislators figured they would not be able to cut a deal on those COVID bonuses, and so they offloaded the task onto a special working group with a deadline to bring recommendations back to lawmakers by Labor Day. The working group began its work during the summer, first hearing from interest groups, and with $250 million on the table, the line, needless to say, was a long one. Everyone pretty much agreed nurses needed to be at the head of it. I was in that room for 45 minutes holding this tube together as the COVID germs are flying all over the room. And I'm wearing the same mask that I have now worn for my eighth shift. ICU nurse and Minnesota Nurses Association President Mary Turner. Clinical nursing staff, health care providers, dental assistants, laboratory technicians, admissions clerks, radiology technicians, building services, janitorial personnel. How could so many workers that are essential be so quickly forgotten? Said Deb Pavlika, nurse at U of M Boynton Health and head of the AFSME union local. Metro Transit driver Judith Jackson told lawmakers every time she opened the bus door, there was a good chance she was letting COVID on. My mom lived with me who had just gotten her second diagnosis of cancer. So imagine knowing that her immune system was compromised. Lisa Boulay with Bemidji Community Behavioral Health Hospital told lawmakers. Sure, I would love to get $1,500, but I'd rather get $200 than nothing. Really what needs to happen is the legislature needs to add more money to this. That is what Democrats had in mind. Republicans countered $250 million is what the legislature allotted. And Stillwater Senator Karen Housley said what Democrats are talking about. That's a $2 billion price tag. Housley argued focus on those groups that everyone agrees should get bonuses. Nursing home and long-term care workers, nurses, health care providers, and first responders. Democratic Representative Cedric Frazier from New Hope responded that leaves out a large swath of workers. The show of every single day and put their lives at risk and put their families' lives at risk. Do the job of an essential worker because the state, we said, you need to show up to work. That is just what I've been waiting for. Would you mind slipping it under the dough? The Labor Day deadline came and went with no agreement on frontline worker COVID bonuses. And right about that time, the political calculus got even more complicated. I want to get this other work done, but I'm not going to lose the 
top health official in the state of Minnesota. Governor Walz' response to rumblings that Senate Republicans upset with the administration's stance on COVID might oust Health Commissioner Jan Malcolm if Walls were to call a special session to approve bonuses for COVID frontline workers. Newly elected Senate Republican Majority Leader Jeremy Miller from Winona said, I will share that there are serious concerns about Commissioner Malcolm that we've heard from constituents, but I'll also say that it's an ongoing conversation. Senate Republicans had already put a twist in the path toward COVID bonuses, but in early October, that swirl started to rival the smoke following Santa up the chimney with his empty bag. When Governor Walls urged legislative leaders to not only agree on COVID bonuses for frontline workers, but also approve COVID vaccination and testing requirements for workers in long-term care facilities and for teachers and school staff. Senate Republican Majority Leader Miller responded he's confident they can reach an agreement on bonus pay for frontline workers, but said, quote, the growing list of requests from Governor Walls is not productive. I get it. You don't like this plan. What is yours? Doing nothing kills people. Old winds are howling. How could that be growling? Okay, let's review where we are. Republicans and Democrats can't agree on how many workers should get frontline COVID bonuses or how much the bonuses should be. Republicans threaten to remove the health commissioner if the governor calls a special session to approve those frontline bonuses. Wall says no way. He then proposes additional COVID measures that Republicans will not swallow. Think that's enough roadblocks to getting a deal before Christmas? Now let's add a $7.7 billion budget surplus, the largest in Minnesota history. If you guess that Democrats would now want to have more than that $250 million for COVID frontline worker bonuses, you would be correct. It's amazing to me that we can't just keep the frontline worker money for frontline workers. Democrats have thrown in so many of their special interest groups that frankly that money is going to be so diluted. That's not helping anyone. When are the frontline workers going to see this money in our pockets? So there you have it. It's really not my job, so you, dear listener, get to decide who is to blame. My only comment, at risk of crossing the line, would be there is one package that Santa left under the tree, this one for lawmakers. It's a brown paper bag, and there's a note with instructions on how to get out of it. Merry Christmas, everybody. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community, too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. Throughout the state, Minnesota electric co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. Change a light bulb, save some green. Just replace traditional light bulbs with energy-efficient bulbs and fixtures. If you're like most people, 20% of your home electric bills go directly to lighting. Every light we switch to one bearing the government's Energy Star label uses at least two-thirds less energy than older bulbs. Such a light will save more than $30 in energy costs over its lifetime. Brighten your environmental future. From the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. 
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Every year we have to remind ourselves how to drive during the winter as roads get snowy and icy. I recently spoke with AAA Minnesota's Meredith Mitz about some tips that we can all use when we're out on the roads this winter. Honestly, one of the biggest tips I can go ahead and give is make sure you go slow during the winter driving. So whether there's ice or snow or even just the potential for either of those things and any wind that is blowing any of that snow that has previously happened, um, going slow gives you more time to be able to react and to be able to make sure you are safely able to get to your destination and get stopped if you need to in an emergency. As always, you should definitely make sure you're wearing your seatbelt and you are watching everyone around you as well as the road, make sure you eliminate as many distractions as possible. So those are really important year-round, but especially when you are driving in inclement weather, is making sure you're slowing on down and watching the roads. In terms of making sure that our vehicles are prepped for safe winter driving, what should we be doing? As you're looking to prep your vehicle for safe winter driving, there are a couple of things you can do. One is go in for a routine maintenance. Make sure you have a good set of um, brakes and the belts and hoses that your fluids are all topped off, your oil is clean, your tires have air in them. Um, Many places offer multi-point inspections and can double-check your battery for you. That will help prevent some of those inconvenient and costly breakdowns. Another couple of things you can do is have an emergency kit It should be including supplies like cell phone and a charger, boots, gloves, warm and dry clothing or blankets, a way to help get you out of the snow like a shovel and a first aid kit, maybe some water if you have the ability to keep that in a bottle in there as well. And then if you are parking outside and there's snow on your vehicle, we ask that you make sure you take time to completely clear the snow from everywhere on your vehicle. While you might just think, oh, I need to clear my windshield, You need to clear the hood so that way that snow isn't coming up and hitting your windshield as you start to drive and everything on the top and back of your car so it doesn't hit the driver behind you. Um, Snow and ice can cause a lot of damage, whether it's just obstructing the view or hitting the front of the car, the ground right in front of it, and being a road hazard. Meredith, do you have any advice for uh, parents who might have teens who are getting their first experience doing winter driving and, and sort of figuring out how to manage that when they haven't done it before? Yeah, I would say if you can find a empty parking lot, it is a great place that you can go and practice getting stuck in minimal amounts of snow and teach um, vital things like how to get out of the snow, how to stop, how long you need to stop, and what anti-lock brakes feel like. Another couple of things that you can do is just discuss some of these safety behaviors before you drive. Things like looking farther ahead in traffic because if a car ahead of you starts swerving, maybe you know that there's ice there. Um, not cutting in front of trucks because they also have a significantly slower stopping speed. Or don't set your cruise control because when roads are wet, snowy, and icy, um, it makes it so you don't have as fast of a reaction time. If your feet are already on the pedals, you have the ability to react faster. And then another huge thing for anyone, whether they're a new driver or an older driver, is remembering that in the event of a skid, You should be easing off your accelerator, but not locking your brakes. So you want to steer in the direction that your vehicle is, that you want the vehicle to go and straighten the wheel as soon as your car begins to go in that desired direction, but never slam on the brakes. Slamming on the brakes is going to cause everything to lock up and make the skid worse. 
And what about uh, snowplow safety? Uh, any particular tips that folks need to be aware of as we've got trucks out there salting and plowing? Yeah, as you are out and about, if you see flashing lights, it's a good idea to slow down, whether that is a tow truck or police or ambulance on the side of the road where you should slow down and move over, or if it's a snow plow with their flashing lights, you should slow down and give them room. Um, a lot of people don't realize that there are multiple blades on a snow plow and that they also have reduced visibility. So while they are out there plowing, um, you should never try and pass a snow plow. If there are multiple snow plows that are in a line and they're doing one of those um, radiated lines down multiple lanes to try and get all of the snow off at once, you should never try and cut in between those. Part of that is that they can't see you. And so if you try and do that, you could get caught in the snow, ice, and the blades. But also you are going from the cleared area to an uncleared area, and that can grab your tires and cause an accident. They're doing their best to be able to keep you safe. And while it means you might have to go a little bit slower, it's better to drive slower and leave safe stopping distance behind these big trucks and these big things of machinery and keep you and them safe than it is to try and speed around them and end up in even worse road conditions. Uh, great information, as always. Anything else you can think of that Minnesota drivers need to be reminded of? As you look out um, and have all of these plans happening this upcoming holiday season and through the rest of the winter, make sure you're double-checking the weather. Sometimes you can see the snows happening um, in a few hours. You can leave a little bit earlier. Or if you're driving somewhere and you're planning to be there a while, you can um, take a little bit longer and wait until after the snow has gone through and the roads are cleared. Just remember, if the weather is bad and you don't have to drive, don't. You can push off grocery shopping for another couple of hours or a day, maybe. Um, maybe you don't go see your friend to watch a Christmas movie and you reschedule for a new day. It's better to stay home and stay safe than it is to try your luck on icy and snowy roads. Thank you to my guest, Marilyn Mitz with AAA Minnesota. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Well, we've already talked about safe driving on Minnesota roads during the winter. It's also the season of ice fishing and snowmobiling. Tasha Radel has more. The week between Christmas and New Year's is typically the kickoff to the ice fishing season along with snowmobiling. But this year, things are a little different due to a potpourri of weather over the past month. Joining me today is Lisa Dugan and Paul Perman with the Minnesota DNR. Lisa, I'm going to start with you. I know that ice conditions remain uneven around the state. What can you tell me? You're right. It has been it has been a unique start of the ice season. Um, typically, this time of year, you know, between the holidays and heading into the new year, um, is when you see a lot of the larger um, ice houses and wheelhouses heading out on the lakes with the pickup trucks. And that just really isn't the case this year. Um, definitely in northern parts of the state, um, it, it sounds like that they're opening up areas to larger vehicles, but kind of in central and southern regions, um, you know, that just doesn't seem to be the case right now. There just hasn't been enough ice to support the large vehicles and in some cases even ATVs and snowmobiles. Um, so, you know, as we head into time off and, and breaks over the holiday season, for those that are heading out onto the ice, it's so very important to you know, check the areas that you're heading out on if you are recreating on ice and make sure that there's enough ice to support 
you know, the weight of whatever activity it is that you're doing there. Lisa, do you also recommend letting family and friends know your plans for the day? Absolutely. It's, you know, anytime that you're going out on, you know, either solo, it's good to go out with with a friend or, you know, somebody else, um, a partner, but letting somebody know where you're going and when you expect to be back so that if something does happen, you know, there's a point of reference so that if you do need help, emergency personnel know where to go um, to get to you as quick as possible because there's, um, you know, in the case of falling through the ice, time is so very important to get out as soon as you can. You stressed earlier the importance of checking ice thickness with a spud bar, auger, or other device before stepping out onto it. This also got me thinking about folks not solely, I guess, depending upon other people's footprints, tracks, or perhaps even social media posts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we have the ability to get information in so many different ways. And, you know, it might be, you know, a good thing to check um, social media before you head out just to kind of see what the conditions are. But, um, you know, especially this ice season, it seems like conditions are fluctuating so quickly and just with you know all of the you know we've had rain and we've had above freezing temperatures and snow we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk snowmobiling joining me now is the dnr's paul perman paul while recent snow in parts of minnesota has many snowmobile enthusiasts excited to take their first ride of the season i understand most of the state's trails are not yet groomed and ready to ride yeah, that's that's right, Tasha. So we had that great snow about ten days ago, and uh, and that was uh, that was fantastic. We had had some areas farther north uh, from the Twin Cities earlier, uh, but then it was followed by a uh, by a spate of warm weather and in some cases rain, and that really messed things up. So what that means is statewide we have uh, highly variable conditions, but mostly not very good for winter sports like snowmobiling and skiing. There are a few areas uh, up in the the Arrowhead, uh, northeastern Minnesota, where they have some pretty decent snow, uh, but in general, conditions are not uh, where we want them to be for people to enjoy snowmobiling. Paul, I know this time of year, it's a big job for local volunteers and DNR staff to get the trail system up and running. Uh, these trails, we've got 23,000 miles of trails in Minnesota, which is pretty amazing. And, and the vast majority of those are operated by local units of government, cities and counties, in cooperation with clubs, volunteer clubs. And those clubs can always use some additional help. And so I would just encourage people to think about if, if you have some time and capacity to reach out in a club to a club in your area, you could go to the DNR website and uh, find the trails online, mndnr.gov slash snowmobiling. Um, we have names and phone numbers of folks there. You could reach out to them and, and uh, encourage them for one thing. And just if you have a little time or capacity, you could offer to help out a little bit. We're about out of time today, Paul. Anything you wanted to add? You know, the only thing, Tasha, that I would add to that is uh, one of the things that we find is once we have great snow on the ground and we have good trail conditions, we just really want to encourage riders to stay on the trails. Uh, those 23,000 miles of snowmobile trails are largely on private lands. And so private landowners uh, agree to host these trails, which is a really great benefit to snowmobilers in Minnesota. And every year we have some 
folks who decide to go off trail and it upsets the landowners. And so I would just encourage riders out there to stay on the trail. Thanks again to both of my guests, Lisa Dugan and Paul Perman with the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. Stay safe, Minnesota. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. So you see, son, good manners are very, very important. Someday, many years from now, when you're a grown-up, you'll be a man. And when you are, you should be a gentleman. Do you want me to go through it one more time? Yes. Yes, please. Yes, please. Exactly. Always say please, thank you, you're welcome, and excuse me. Sit up straight, hold doors open for ladies. If a door's shut, then knock first. Don't burp, don't swear, don't speak with a mouthful, don't reach across people's plates, keep your elbows off the table. What table? And don't interrupt. While we're at it, don't stare, don't use foul language, don't call people names, but do remember people's names. Always share your toys, play nice, and cover your mouth when you cough or sneeze. On the bus, give up your seat to anyone who has trouble standing. Bottom line, treat others the way you'd like to be treated. Got it? Got it. And stop picking your nose. Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. But spending just two minutes twice a day making sure they brush their teeth is easier and could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. For fun two-minute videos to watch while brushing, visit 2min2x.org. That's 2min2x.org. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Mouths, Healthy Lives, and the Ag Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Golden Gopher sophomore swimmer Megan Van Berkham from Illinois set two school records in a three-day span at the Minnesota Invitational earlier this month. She also qualified for the NCAA tournament with the accomplishments. The bulk of the season still is ahead for the U of M women's swimming and diving team. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm spoke with Van Berkham and asked her about the season so far. Coming from last year, which was very rough for everybody but the training was just so inconsistent and I didn't really know where I was at um and so now coming into the season training consistently coming in having a great mid-season um meet it's really um brings the confidence up with like me and all the team that we know that we're at this point already you guys were hosting the event in which in two days or maybe it was over a three-day stretch you set two school records take us through uh, each of those records and kind of uh, obviously those are two of your specialty uh, events uh, take us through uh, you know in terms of how that training has helped and what each uh, race was like uh, on the record setting day um the first day i set the 2im record um, which I've been doing a lot of IM training, which is kind of my specialty. I do the two and four IM. And the third day then I set the 200 fly record, which is um, an event that I kind of just started doing when coming to college. My coaches, my freshman year last year, were like, you're going to be a butterflyer. So now um, I set that record and I also swim the four IM, which I got second in, but I was still off of that record as a swimmer obviously you train as you mentioned now that you're getting consistent I assume it was pandemic related and you know with, with all the things going on last year and now hopefully things are a little closer to normal um, are, how, how close do you pay attention to the records and as you're swimming an event do you know if you're really uh, getting it done um, or is it one of those things you look up and you see the time and then it's like oh wow I knew especially the two fly record because I felt like that was within reach for me the two IM record I obviously knew it, but I was not sure that I was going to be that close to it at this meet. Um, so after prelims, I was like a, a second or so off of it. And that was like, oh, huge drop from my best time from before. So I was like, oh, wow, that's getting close. So in finals for that one, I wasn't 
100% confident I was going to get it. But then, and no, I didn't, I didn't know how I was doing when I was swimming. I just finished and then like saw the record board and saw the scoreboard and like heard all my teammates, everyone cheering. And I was like, oh, wow. Um, for the two fly, I was more aware of it because I had been trying to get that one. And so I kind of could tell like during my final swim, like I'm having a good swim, like I'm not dying. I'm keeping like a good pace and everything. So coming into the season, you mentioned after last year, now last year you made the NCAA uh, tournament as well, and you had a pretty good freshman year, but it sounded like uh, you were also still, you know, kind of a choppy freshman year with everything going on, maybe outside of, uh, of the pool Um, coming into this year. I mean, did you have your mind set on uh, some things, maybe these school records and, and now that you've done this, maybe resetting them, and then long-term individually, because obviously this is one of those unique sports where there's a team score kept but also individual scores. Uh, what, what are your goals now as uh, really the bulk of the season still lies ahead? Um, definitely a big goal for me is making the top eight at NCAAs. I, um, I think I do want to probably reset the two-fly record and maybe potentially get the 4am record. Um, but right now, since I already got two records, my biggest focus is placing at NCAAs. And then from a team perspective, obviously every time you're setting records, you're helping the team score. How good can this team be? I know it's had a long history of success over the years. Yeah, I'm really, really excited for our team this year. I think we have a really strong, both sides, but women's team. Um, we have a lot of good freshmen that came in, and I just think we have a very – um strong build to like all our strokes all our events we have a lot of good good swimmers this year all right so you're in year two uh kind of take us through your track of from the state of illinois as a high school uh, swimmer to uh, what brought you to the university of minnesota and uh, becoming a golden gopher so my entire family lives here my grandparents everything and my parents grew up here so i was like oh i'll just i'll look into it like i don't know i was kind of just casually looking at schools nothing serious yet so i had a few calls and I really, really, really liked the coaches, and I felt like the connection with the coaches and the swimmers was different here than anywhere else I had talked to. I felt like they actually wanted to get to know you, and they and the team was so close. So I came and took my visit. I felt like the team was just like wanted you to be there, wanted to hang out with you, and the coaches. It was felt so different the coach swimmer connection. Like they want to get to know you outside of the pool. They want like they want you to succeed everywhere in life. And then um, I think I read in your bio that uh, you're the first, uh, I guess, what I'd call competitive swimmer in your family. Uh, what got you interested in swimming? And when did you realize at what age that uh, you were pretty good and, and could uh, maybe advance this into uh, something beyond just a club or a high school uh, level? Eight, and I think I was doing swim lessons, and I really liked it. I was playing softball at the time also, which I didn't really like, but that's my, what my sister did, so I kind of just followed in her footsteps. Um, and I did swim lessons and I was like, I really like this. So my mom just like put me on the team, like the little summer team that they had. And then I just kept going, I guess I really liked it. So I just wanted to keep going. And then I think I realized I wanted to swim in college. It was pretty early. It was like freshman year. I kind of, I feel like once the recruiting started and everything came my junior year, I, it wasn't really a question of if I wanted to swim or not. It was kind of like, I know I want to. That's Gopher swimmer Megan Van Berkham and MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm. That is going to do it for us for this week. Thank you so much. Please have a pleasant and safe holiday and tune in next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.